John, I apologize. I picked that scripture because I thought Darren was the scripture reader today. So I just, I, it's the only reason I picked that one for all those tough words. So I'll get you next time, Darren. I'll get you next time. So, well, like I said earlier in the service, uh, you get extra credit for being here this morning. Part of that is because you decided to come to church on the last Sunday of 2018, but you also get extra credit because we have a lot of scripture that we're going to be looking at today. As uh, John uh, did a great job for us uh, reading all those verses, but we have more uh, that we're going to look at. But before we get into that, uh, I want to talk a little bit about our previous series. If you're a member uh, for the last Four weeks, for the the entire season of Advent, we've talked about hope. And our sermon was focused on exploring the idea that hope has been revealed. Hope has been revealed in Christmas. And we celebrated that and we enjoyed that and we rested in that. And our hope and our joy was stirred up in that revelation that hope has been revealed. But let me ask you, have you ever found yourself in a situation where just as you were able to gain a hold of hope, as you've worked to, to, to find that hope, and just as you were able to cling to it, you find that hope being challenged? I have to admit, I, uh, recently I found myself in a situation like that. Uh, this, earlier this semester, in, in August, I decided I was going to run a 5K. I'd you know, always enjoyed running, but I was going to run this 5K, and I began training, and I was using a running app. And as I was training for this 5K that was going to be in October, I noticed as the weeks went on that, that my time kept improving, on my app. And I was like, okay, wow, you know, I'm a little bit better shape than I thought I was. And I kept running. And as I ran and as the race got closer, my time kept improving and my time kept improving. So of course I did the most humble thing possible. I began to post those results on social media, right? I'm like, look at this, man, I'm great. I'm doing great. And people were talking about, man, you're fast. And you're, wow, I didn't realize. And did you run in, in college? And I'm like, oh no, I didn't run in college. Very humble, right? And so I was just enjoying the fact that I I thought I was really going to compete really well in this 5K. Well, uh, something very humbling and embarrassing happened a week before the race. A week before the race, I decided to run my last training run before the race just to kind of make sure I was where I wanted to be. And it was on that run that I realized that there was a glitch in my running app. And I realized that because it told me that I ran a world record 5K. And so I was like, I don't, I'm, I'm not that prideful to just check that off and be like, yeah, that's me. Um, and I have to tell you, it was embarrassing. It was embarrassing because I had shared this with you know, social media and friends, and I thought I was in one place. Uh, and, and what was really most frustrating about it is once I realized that my run app had a glitch and was, was malfunctioning, I had no idea where I was going to be at going into the race. I could have been the slowest person. I could have been the fastest person. I had no idea. And I really struggled whether I should run it or not. I didn't want to embarrass myself. I really wanted to compete and enjoy the race. Well, I decided that I was just going to be hopeful. And I was just going to go and I was just going to run as best I could and just be okay with whatever the results were. So the race came and I ran and I competed. And uh, I'll tell you, I was shocked uh, when the race was over and they were announcing the medals that I won my age division. Now, I say that, let me preface that, there weren't a whole lot of people running that day. It was a cold October day, but I, I won my age division. 
and so that was a really encouraging moment for me that I, I, I've remained hopeful. I just went and I ran and I had to humble myself and just compete. And you'd think that that would be the end of this happy story, but it wasn't. Uh, almost immediately after the race, I, I, I found that hope that I had being challenged. Immediately after the race, almost immediately after I had my name announced, I had received this medal for winning my age division, another racer very politely came up to me and shared that he thought that the times were wrong, that he actually had beat me, and that um, he really should have received that medal. And then uh, to make matters worse, I I shared a a super cute picture of me and my daughter on social media uh, biting the medal, and a family member of mine responded by um, dismissing my results and saying, oh, well, that must have been a participation medal that I received. And so immediately I, I, I felt this hope that I had really gotten a hold of and really pursued being challenged and coming under attack. And I just want to ask you, have you ever been in that spot? Have you ever been in that spot where you worked so hard to find hope, so hard to to get a hold of something that can get you through, and almost as soon as your hands get a hold of that, that hope comes under challenge? Well, I have to tell you that that is exactly what the disciples were experiencing at Pentecost. See, in the Gospels, we read that the disciples, they they endured the hardships, number one, of of following Jesus, right? It wasn't a picnic following Jesus. Jesus was very clear that, you know, foxes have holes and, and, and people have places to sleep, but not the Son of Man. So they knew going into it that there was gonna be hardships and challenges for for following Jesus. And then they had to endure Jesus' arrest. And they had to endure the the hardship of of rejecting him and and hiding and abandoning him. And then they had to witness the crucifixion, the brutal crucifixion of Christ. And then they had to to walk through the the weight of the death of this leader, this person that they thought was was their Messiah. It should be clear that they were going through some hard times. That they were overwhelmed. That they were discouraged. That they were in need of of hope. But thankfully we read in Luke 24 about the hope-filled resurrection of Christ. We, we see how the, how the disciples struggled at the beginning, but then they came alive and they, they began to be hopeful when, when their Messiah was resurrected. And in fact, we read in Luke 24, 49, in the last moments before Jesus ascended into heaven, in these last moments that he spent with his disciples, these were the words that he said. He said, and see, I am sending upon you what my father promised. And if you're a Bible underliner, you might want to underline that word promised. So stay here in this city until you have been clothed with power from one high. Jesus gives his disciples in, in this difficult, mo- they've gone through all this difficulty. They have this moment of hope in Jesus' resurrection. Now Jesus is about to ascend into heaven and leave them. So you can see that that hope might begin to, to waver. They might need something to hang on to. So Jesus tells them, stay here. I'm going to be sending you the Holy Spirit who will clothe you with power. He gives them that promise. And in Acts 2 that John read for us, uh, that is a description of the disciples receiving 
that promised power from God. So let's, let's think about this for a moment. So the disciples have walked through the hardships of being a disciple of Christ. They've walked through Jesus' arrest, his brutal crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection. And they are now experiencing the promised power of God that Jesus promised them in his last words before he ascended into heaven. They're experiencing the, the reception of this promise. And, and, and they're witnessing all these people around them uh, being amazed and perplexed at God's power, just being overwhelmed with what God is doing among them and through these disciples. And you, you gotta think that they were encouraged. That you gotta think that they were looking at each other and saying, this is, this is what Jesus said we were gonna receive. This is what we've been, been hoping for. You got to think that they were on top of the world, that they were so encouraged. God is faithful. Look, he, he told us we were going to receive this, and here we're receiving this. Look at all these people. We're speaking in languages that they understand. All of these people, oh, wow, look what God is doing. Can you get a sense of that, that they would have been encouraged and hopeful that God, that God is faithful, that what he promised in Luke they are receiving in Acts 2. And it's just, I think, as that, as that hope began to swell and they began to think, okay, we're going to be okay. God is going to get us through this and God is moving and working. Uh, we read these words in verse 13. But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. Whew. Sneered. And another word for that is mocked made fun of, dismissed. Oh, they're just drunk. So just as they get hold of this hope they've worked so hard to find and, and cling to, they're dismissed and they're made fun of and they're accused of being drunks. I mean, how painful, how discouraging. So what do we do? What do we do when our hope is challenged? What do we do when that thing that we're clinging to to get us through this difficult season comes under attack? Well, I have to tell you that um, Peter sets a beautiful example for us. Peter sets a beautiful example of how we should respond when our hope is challenged. You see, uh, you won't find in here, now there's lots of other places where Peter messed up, He's one of my favorite uh, disciples. But in this moment, when he's accused of being a drunk, he doesn't get angry. Uh, he doesn't accuse anyone. He doesn't say, well, you were drunk yesterday. He doesn't do that. He doesn't cross his arms and avoid talking to anybody and say, well, if you don't believe me, then I'm just not going to talk to you. He doesn't do any of those things. What Peter does when his hope is challenged is he clings to the promise. When our hope is challenged, we should cling to the promises of God and trust that God is faithful. See, after his hope is challenged, after he's accused of being a drunk, Peter stands up and he points backwards to the past. He points backwards to where God has made promises 
and fulfilled them. In, in Acts 2, 14 through 24, we're gonna read that together. This is the part where you get your extra credit. It'll be on the screen, but I'm gonna read it for us as well. Acts chapter two, verses 24, or excuse me, Acts chapter two, verses 14 through 24. This is what, this is what Peter said in response to being dismissed and accused of being a drunk. It says, but Peter, standing with the 11, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. Now this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old, your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in, these, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show uh, portents in the heaven above and in signs in the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood and before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious days. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know, this man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him having freed him from death because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Now there's a lot there that we don't have time to unpack, but I want to point out a few things. First of all, what Peter is doing is he's pointing back and he's telling this crowd, what you are witnessing is the beginning of the fulfillment of the prophet Joel from the Old Testament. The prophet Joel promised that a day would come when the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon men and women, uh, young and old, slave and free, and there would be fruit from that Holy Spirit being poured out. And what we need to understand is that in this moment, this is the first moment when the, the Holy Spirit, because of the death and resurrection of Christ, the Holy Spirit can now indwell within men and women young and old. See, before, when you read in the Old Testament, you'll notice that it says the Holy Spirit came upon people. But beyond Christ's crucifixion and resurrection, it's the Holy Spirit lives in people. And so Peter is pointing out that what these people are witnessing is not just a bunch of drunk guys gibbering. It is a fulfillment of what was promised in the days of old, in the days of Joel, that they are witnessing God fulfilling his promise to them. And what I love about this is it says right here, let me find it, uh, in uh, verse 22, he says, uh, let me find it here, and signs and wonders that God did through him among you as you yourselves know. So see, he wasn't talking to a bunch of strangers who didn't know about the things that Jesus did uh, in his lifetime. He's talking to men and women who witnessed the things that God accomplished through Jesus Christ. And so he was challenging them to believe what they saw. 
In essence, what Peter is doing is he's proclaiming that the Old Testament prophecies, or you could replace that with the Old Testament promises, have been fulfilled in Jesus. See, Peter doesn't stop there. He goes on and he quotes another Old Testament prophet. He he quotes King David in verses 25 through 36. And I'm going to, again, read that for us this morning. Peter goes on and says, For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will live in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One experience corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me, fulfill, you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Fellow Israelites, I may say to you confidently of our ancestor David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would put one of his descendants on the throne. For seeing this, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, saying, He was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh experience corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that all of you are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, or having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you both see and hear, For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel both know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. So again, Peter is looking back. He's looking back to the prophet David, King David. And he's quoting the Psalms of David. And he, again, he's pointing out that David said that, the one, that God had revealed to him, that God had promised to him that one day there would be a descendant that would be the king who, who would not die, who would not be overcome by death. And that David knew that that wouldn't be him. And Peter affirms that. He says, Peter, that, you know, David knew that because obviously David is dead. We can go to his tomb and see it today. That's what he's telling uh, these men and women that are gathered around him. Again, Peter is pointing out that God has fulfilled his promise. He points out to these people the promise that God had made and how that promise is being fulfilled through Jesus Christ that they knew and that they witnessed in power. Peter is essentially saying and claiming that Jesus, Jesus' resurrection was the fulfillment of the the prophecy or the promise that David made back uh, in the book of Psalms. Now, if you look at this closely, you're going to see a pattern. You're going to see a pattern where when, when Peter's hope is challenged, he points out one of God's promises, and then he identifies how God has fulfilled that promise. When Peter's hope was challenged, he instinctively, by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, looked back at fulfilled promises of God, and he clung to those as evidence of God's faithfulness. Now, I want you to imagine. I have a picture of a cliff. If we can put that up. Um, This is pulpit rock. I thought that was appropriate rock to use for for a sermon. Uh, This is pulpit rock in Norway. And I know this picture really doesn't do it justice, but you can stand on that flat part of the cliff. And if you look down, uh, the ground is about 1,982 feet below you. No no railings, uh, no guardrails. This is just a a pure, uh, dangerous, scary place to stand. And I want you to imagine that you're standing there. And I want you to imagine that you're standing there with your back 
to the drop-off. And you have a rope in your hand. Not tied around you, just loosely held in your hands. Now I want you to imagine that someone, you can assume it's me, someone comes up and they push you with both their hands on both your shoulders backwards. What are you going to do? You're going to grab the rope. You're going to cling to the rope, right? You're going to cling to the rope. The same, that, that same instinct of clinging to that rope when you're pushed backwards is the same instinct we should have when our hope is challenged. We shouldn't get discouraged. We shouldn't accuse. We shouldn't get angry. We should cling to the promise. We should cling to the promises of God. Now, same scenario, I've pushed you and you're clinging to the rope and you begin to fall. Now, I want you to imagine that the rope is not tied off to anything. Is clinging to that rope gonna help you very much? No. It might make you feel okay until you hit the ground and then after that, you know, we've got other problems. See, what makes that rope useful, what makes clinging to that rope useful is that it's tied off, that it's anchored somewhere. The same should be true for us for, in our promises. Peter didn't just point out all these promises of God. He also put forth the effort to identify where God had fulfilled those promises, where God had been faithful in the past, and that's why we can trust that God will be faithful in the future even when our hope is challenged. That rope is only useful if it's tied off to an anchor. And what makes God's promises useful to us is when we're looking and we're watching and we're identifying where they've been fulfilled in the past and so we can trust that they'll be fulfilled in the future. Now, not all of God's promises have been fulfilled yet, but we can look to the ones that have been fulfilled and trust that if God was faithful in fulfilling those, he'll be faithful in fulfilling others. And so I wanna share with you this morning four promises that are worth clinging to. Now there's lots of others, but these are four that I think are great for us to start with as we look into 2019. Four promises that are worth clinging to. Promise number one, God will never leave you or forsake you. And uh, you can reference that in Hebrews 13.5. It says that almost verbatim. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Now, that's a hard promise to cling to when things aren't going your way, uh, when things happen unexpectedly, when someone becomes ill. It's easy to begin to listen to the whispers of the enemy who says, God, this is happening because God's mad at you and he's left you to suffer and be alone. But you need to look back. Look to Peter. When God abandoned Peter, excuse me, when Peter abandoned God, God didn't abandon Peter. Think about that. When, when Peter rejected the idea of being in relationship with Jesus, even when he was warned that he would do that, later on we can read in the Gospels where, where Jesus invited Peter to breakfast and restored him and affirmed him. Even when Peter rejected God, God did not forsake Peter. Another promise worth clinging to is if you trust the Lord he will direct your path. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Great verse to, to memorize. Third promise worth clinging to. If we confess our sins, God will forgive us and cleanse us. 1 John 1, 9. 
if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That is a promise worth clinging to. That no matter what mistake you might make, what mistake you've made in 2018, what mistakes you're going to make in 2019, if you will confess that to God, he is faithful, he is trustworthy, he keeps his promises, he will cleanse you, he'll purify you of all unrighteousness. Number four, I think, is a great one for all of us who are making New Year's resolutions. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, uh, no temptation is more than we can overcome. Again, a great scripture to memorize. No temptation is exceeds you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he'll provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. See, there's no temptation that you're going to face in 2019 that God hasn't provided a way out. There's no temptation that you're going to face that is more than you can overcome. God promises that. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So when our hope, whatever you're hoping for in 2019, when that hope gets challenged, these are some promises that we can cling to and say, no, 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 no. I know that my hope is challenged. I know this is a difficult circumstance. This isn't what I expected. This is not the way that I wanted to start the new year. But God is faithful. He keeps his promises. And I'm going to cling to those promises until my hope is no longer challenged. And I can stand up uh, on my own, two, my own two feet again. So I want to encourage you to remember these promises. And, and, and to look to where they've been fulfilled in the past. Remember, what makes these promises useful, useful to us is the belief that God is faithful and that he'll keep them. And there's all sorts of evidence of that throughout Scripture and throughout your life and throughout my life. Again, that's why small groups are so powerful because we can share with one another, here's how God has been faithful to me. Here's how God has gotten me through this difficult time. And I want to challenge you. Your next step, your last next step for 2018 is to write down where God has been faithful to you this year where God has kept his promise to you. And I want you to cling to those promises as we make our way into 2019. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that uh, even when our hope is challenged, we have something to cling to. We can cling to you. Help us, Father. Remind all of us in this room, remind all of us Stir up our memories of where you have been faithful to us this year, where you have kept your promises, where you have seen, seen us through, where you have given us strength, where you have healed us, where you have forgiven us, where you have encouraged us, where you have provided for us. May we write those down as a celebration and an acknowledgement of your faithfulness and allow those to be something that we cling to and that we trust in as we enter into this new year. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.